Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. G'day, this is Better Make It Quick. It's the Wednesday quick recap edition of Better Than Yesterday, which is a podcast that does just what the, it does. It makes your day-to-day better than yesterday since 2013. I've been having conversations with all kinds of people from all over the world, from all walks of life, some of them experts in their field about how they make their day-to-day better than yesterday. I've learned heaps. The people that listen to the show have learned heaps. And some of the people I chat to are just icons in our country and around the world. And our guest today is no different. I'm certainly not an icon. I'm just me. I'm Osher. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a one flat AirPod listener. Like how I put them both in the case at the same time. How's that one flat? I don't understand. So I've been listening to a podcast in one ear today. That's about it. Uh, I'm also created this live show at the moment called NTNN NNN. It's a live fake news show, which is super fun. Doing the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Then we're doing the Sydney Comedy Festival. It's fucking amazing fun. I'd love you to come along. The link is in the show notes if you need it. It'd be brilliant. And I might just yet get this guest in to be one of our special guest weather presenters. Richard Wilkins is a legend in the Australian and international entertainment industry. He was the original presenter on MTV Australia when it launched in 1987, and he has been the entertainment presenter at Channel 9 for decades. He has interviewed everyone, the biggest stars in the world. He's got his finger on the pulse of the entertainment industry, always has. He's a trusted tastemaker in music, film, and television, and has been for decades. But Richard started his career in a band, He moved over from New Zealand to Sydney with his band to make it big. They played on stage. They played with Grace Jones. They played with NXS. But at what point did he go, ah, this band thing is interesting. I think I might go do something else. A presenter? I never really had that conscious decision to sort of hang up the leather pants for once and for all. My parents, I have to say, were... Wonderful. Sadly, they're not long, no longer with us. But, you know, they, I, I played the violin from when I was seven and was in church choirs and got a scholarship to a good school because of my sort of acting and singing and playing violin and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it was my music knowledge was sort of rooted in that. But suddenly, of course, the Beatles and the Stones came along and that was a whole lot more interesting than playing Fitz Chrysler um, studies on the violin. So my ear, it wasn't just about the haircuts and the screaming girls. It was, you know, I could tell there was something musically going on and I was really attracted to that. Screaming girls and the haircuts came later. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) so I, you know, I was was drawn to it. And mum and dad were never really that fussed. You know, I'd always been supposed to be a lawyer and teacher, music teacher and 
I had a kid when I was 18, so that sort of changed my journey a little bit. But my mum and dad were totally supportive, and I remember playing dad some of my songs once. And he was a really traditional guy. And he wrote me a beautiful note saying something lovely that, you know, if he was my age and in today's situation with my talent, which was very kind of him, he'd be uh, doing exactly what I'm doing. And I remember tearing up at the time. Wow. That was pretty powerful for him and really important to me. Probably yeah. more, probably as much now as it was at the time. Yeah, that's mm. pretty neat. Yeah, that's, that's that's pretty neat. When the when the band thing ended, it was obviously a trajectory for such a long time. When the band thing came to an end, were you, were you lost it all, or did you know oh, what you were going to do? I was a bit sad, but um, you know, we had all those problems that every band has. With one of the guys got killed in a car accident, oh. we had some legal stuff going on. Where some of the bands sued me and the manager, claiming that we were employees, not co-adventurers. So we found ourselves you know, in a sort of a, a test case in the industrial magistrate's court for three days, which in a weird way I sort of enjoyed because my legal, you know, fascination with, with the law was was quite intrigued by all of that. So there was all that kind of stuff going on and the records hadn't fired and, you know, I was I was onward and upward until we had a little baby daughter, Rebecca, who's now 31, and mum was staying with us. So I couldn't actually afford a table for us to eat on and mum sort of, bought us a table, little table from, you know, some Pinewood warehouse place. And she found a little ad in the paper saying hotshot promotions manager needed at new FM station, which was Today FM. And she said, oh, darling, you could do that job. And I thought, maybe I could. So I wandered in and talked myself into the job or talked them into hiring me. And coincidentally, the lady who, who knew far more about the job than I did, who became my assistant, which was, you know, she was Di Edwards, who remains a great friend, who... Uh, who was working for the first record label. You know, she says she, she, when I first came over to Australia to check it out, she drove me back to the airport and <laughs> assumed that was that. But uh, so we, you know, she worked with me. So there was something meant to be about that. I found myself working in radio, doing marketing and promotions. To Today FM then went, went across to 2UW uh, to launch Baz and Pilko, who'd just come across from Adelaide before your time, I know. And then, um, then I started working at Club Superstation, which was the forerunner of Sky Channel, hosting music clips, thrown to music clips so between dog races. Preeminent pay TV. True story. The yeah. Early, I think my voice was the first voice on satellite television. So that would have been 86, I guess. Did six months of that, four hours to air, six nights a week. Loved it. You Great were training. Live. live. Wow. So I notched up a whole lot of flying hours when nobody was watching, which was perfect. And it's high important, time. isn't it, to have that kind of stuff? Well, to, to develop some sort of comfort with the um, with the camera. But yeah, it was like, well, we're, we're 10 minutes till race seven adapto. Uh, let's go through to Richard Wilkins for some more music. Thanks very much, Peter Overton, <laughs> who was doing that. <laughs> um, thanks, Pete. Look, uh, new video from In Excess. It's called Need You Tonight. Let's have a listen. You know, I wasn't quite as slick as that, I don't think. But, <laughs> but uh, that was that was invaluable. Because the next thing that happened, I read in the paper about this thing called MTV that was coming to Australia. And I thought, damn, that's, that's me. And like everybody else, like you, like me, like actors and DJs and whatnot, applied for it. And um, How did you apply for it? I, I did you was, know anybody who knew someone? Well, I had an agent at the time, um, Shirley Pierce, Bedford and Pierce, um, who were Russell Crowe's agents as well. In fact, he and I, I think, came along together for the gig to, to audition. I've got to say that I knew as soon as I met Saul Stein, who was the executive producer, who's now head of sport at Channel 7, he and I sensed something in each other, I think. 
I loved his energy and I think he knew that I probably thought I was a little old for the job. I was 30, I think. But, you know, it was, it was for me, it was perfect. It was a, such a combination of everything that I'd done. Having He made us write all our own scripts and everything. And, you know, it's super important when you... You know, yeah, well, a lot of people assume that they'll just rock in there and read the auto cue and be fabulous, you know. But he made us just research and write and get everything 100% correct all the time, which was good. And we did a test to camera, which, you know, fortunately I'd been doing a bit of that and uh, felt comfortable and wrote a couple of snappy scripts and had a good chat. And I think my knowledge, having played in a few bands over the years, developed some sort of knowledge of what's, what it's like the back of a truck, you know, in the back streets of New Zealand for a few years, does stand you in yeah. good stead. So it seemed like the perfect thing. And um, so April the 16th, 1987, off we were. Richard Wilkins has been at the Nine Network for decades and Channel Nine, at the time that he and I spoke, unlike many other media organisations, were still in the same building that had been when the place was founded. It's since being turned into apartments, they moved to North Sydney. But I wanted to know if he remembered the very first time he walked into that building, this building that is just just deep in Australian broadcasting legacy. Clear as a bell. I remember back because we, there were all these cottages around here. Where Mr. Packer bought up, you know, several of the houses in the in the streets nearby. So all the shows have their own little cottages, and a lot still do. You know, Wide World of Sports are down there, and Publicity's there, and Sales are down the bottom. We used the Today Show used to be down there in Scott Street. It's important that we're all here now because we're all plugged into the newsroom and stuff. But yeah, I remember coming in here and at the gatehouse and asking for some bloke called Saul Stein at the MTV auditions and getting sort of dragged through the place and up in the little cottage there and sitting there and talking. You know, I, I remember the cottage is still there. It's changed. I think it's it's um, facilities or someone in yeah. there. Wirebenders making stuff in there. So was this, was this Alan Bond era or...? Yeah, well, it was. Alan Bond came in soon after that. The Packers were here when I first got here, and then the Bond era mm. came in after that. And then for, for a couple of years or however long it was. Did you meet him? What was he like? I don't know if I... Well, I did meet him. I met him in Perth on his boat when we were doing something over there. Of course. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> of course, on his boat. <laughs> but we... No, it wasn't like that, really. But we did, we did do a big launch on Sydney Harbour at Darling Harbour once. There was a big yacht and all the... You know, on-air people were, were down there. And I remember Glenn Pallister, who's a dear mate of mine, who was a cameraman for us. He was a spunky little number, Glenny, with the long hair and stuff. And he was he was on the barge with the band, miming the song. And he's now he's now head of the footy show here. He's <laughs> and, a, and a great mate. Yeah, so they were they were heady days, you yeah. know. Getting on the boat, I remember getting on the boat, having to take our shoes off, walking on with Don Burke and stuff. It was all... And I remember being invited to Sam Chisholm's. Now, was Sam here through the Bond era? I guess he was. Sam had a, a 50th birthday party here where famously there was a Harley Davidson sort of craned up and into his office. And, you know, the invitation came. I couldn't believe I'd got one. I was like, the kindest, gentlest, most lovable man in television invites you to his 50th birthday party and you open it up or you'll never work in this fucking industry again. <laughs> And I remember standing there next to it with Ian Chappell and and all these absolute icons. And yeah. thank God, I'm the only person in the room I've never heard of, seriously. And uh, Alan Jones made a speech and had everybody laughing and then everybody crying. And, you know, at that point I thought, wow, if I do this right and this this gig that I've 
landed as possibly a, a platform for a, an ongoing career in television because yeah. I loved the whole thing. Yeah. I love the family vibe of it as well. Yeah. I love, I love the community and the... We only have to look around you. I mean, this is, it, unlike other newer TV stations that had the, you know, have moved to bigger buildings, this is, everyone's packed in here. They really are. Yeah, and it's the collaborative nature of, of television as well, where everybody has their own individual jobs and, you know, nobody really sort of covets. Everyone's got a career path, but it's not like, it's not like you're, there are a hundred journalists where everybody's kind of sort of doing the same sort of gig. Everybody has sort of got their own little niche here, and yeah. I love that. What did you learn from those early days, either at Sky or here at MTV, that you still like that you used this morning on show? Like, what kind of skills? Oh, Saul taught me some basic television skills that, um, you know, I feel sorry for sometimes for, for young people starting out because I'd, I'd had that six months, you know, do the sums. I'd never done it, but several hours of, you know, a couple of hundred hours of, of television there with, with nobody watching. Sometimes they they get, you know, bright young things from somewhere and, throw them on air in front of the, the nation on national television. And I feel not sorry for them, but sometimes I think it'd be good to have six months in Wollongong or Newcastle or Dubbo or Cobar or Broken Hill. Off or, Broadway. Off Let's Broadway. Go Broadway. Yeah. Learn some skills. But Saul taught me some things like, because there was no instant roll back in those days. Everything was on, was on tape mm. on a five-second roll. So just to explain that, the tape operator hits play mm. and it takes five seconds before the sound and picture sync up and you can you can cut to it. So and you've got to time that perfectly, otherwise there's a gap on television which nobody wants. And auto cue wise teleprompt, whatever you want to call it, was always on paper. So, you know, I used to write my scripts, dictate them to the, the typist, I guess, who would then type them and then feed them through on this machine that had a light underneath it and beam it up onto the camera, which sometimes used to catch on fire, which is another story. <laughs> but, you know, you had to sort of time your, and the director needed to know what you were going to say so he could, you know, work out, okay, he's 20 words from the end. Yeah. So right now, let's have a look at da-da-da-da-da and here it is, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, yeah. and bang, hopefully your last word syncs up with the... Yeah. With the tape starting, or the, the vision starting. So, you know, but Saul always said, mate, when you throw to something, look off camera and look down at the monitor like you're expecting it to be there. Because if we stuff up the roll, I don't want you staring down the barrel of the camera like a wood duck, you know, just be so people at home are aware that it's our cock up, not yours. So little thing, and developing those just habits, really. So when you and when you come off a monitor, when you, when the clips finish, come off the monitor and then look back, like you're involved and you're watching the thing. And yeah, it's a little thing that seems so basic now, but you know, little tips that I still do to this day. We're going to take a quick, quick break. We're right back with Richard Wilkins after this. Richard Wilkins is a master of what he does. He has been at the forefront of the entertainment industry in Australia for years. But even he, even Richard Wilkins, has had moments of doubt. I was always, in hindsight, so, um, I don't know, not scared, but lacking in confidence, I think. I was, you know, I always felt that someone was going to say to me, hey, okay, you gave it a good shot, but, you know, we're going to get someone to do the job properly now. That, you still had that feeling? I did for a while, yeah. And then... In fact, when does it go away? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's only a few years ago, really. I don't know how many. But, really? Um, well, no, uh, I remember a point in my life where I thought, okay, this is what I do. This is what I love doing. I actually enjoy it. There was a time when I thought, I wonder what I'll do when I finish doing this. And then after the MTV thing finished, I, you know, there were a f sort of few years in the wilderness, although I always managed to 
keep um, something happening here at Channel 9 to kind of keep me uh, on the payroll to some degree. But yeah, it was only it was only maybe 10 years ago that I thought, maybe when they made me the sort of entertainment editor for the network and I started doing much more stuff for news and started getting more invited to meetings and strategies, strategy meetings and planning and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I felt more, you know, confident in my ability to uh, to be the best at what I can be. With due respect, you know, Eddie McGuire said some lovely things when he was... Um, when he was here, you know, he's, he's, he said something about, he said, you know, he's the best MC in Australia and the best entertainment reporter in the world. And, I, and he, you know, and it was, he was, he was being obviously very kind, but it was, it meant a huge amount to me. And um, just to have someone like him who I rate enormously give you a little validation like that, you don't sit back on your laurels, but you realize that, you know, people do respect the hard work that you do. Ginge is kindly said to me, Diggy's the hardest working bloke in the building. And I really do. I spend a lot of time here just trying to get as many facts right as I possibly can and um, put in the hard yards before the chat. What a lot of people might not understand is that I guess people look at the the, the E! News or they look at this sort of thing and they, they see exactly what you're saying. They see the pretty person who got pulled off a catwalk, handed not even handed a sheet of paper, handed a couple of cards and told, ask him this, ask him that, ask him this, and when we do this with our hands is when you stop talking. <laughs> but for you to say that, I want to get as many facts right as I can before the chat. I'm the, I, I spent two hours getting ready for this yesterday. Really? Yeah, but I just, but I won't. I won't go in. When are those questions going to kick in? <laughs> <laughs> but I won't, I won't go into, I, I won't go into an interview unless I've, I've done the research myself. I tried working with an external researcher for a while, but I couldn't deal oh, with no. it. I couldn't deal with it because it's like, what are, what are they missing? I have to know. Yeah, well, me too. I, you know, I always sit down and go through everything, even with travel. You know, I never trust travel agents. Really, I'm the one. That, I'm the one who's going to be sitting for eight hours at some airport somewhere. I always double check that stuff. But right. Yeah, I always like to prepare for for an interview interview properly. You know, it's you've got to take your fun seriously. What's okay? So it's just quickly, last thing on travel. What's your largest travel time to interview length ratio? Oh God. Well, I think the further you travel, the more sort of important it seems in your mind. You know, you travel to New York to interview Madonna. It's funny, when I, we ended, we landed a Madonna interview a month or so, it's two, two months ago. And it was a Tuesday when they called me and they said, you've got to be in New York on Thursday if you want to do it. And I said, oh, God, can't, isn't that why God invented satellites? Can't we do it on satellite? And they came back and Liz Rosenberg... And she said, That's her publicist, the famous yeah, Madonna publicist. Yeah. She said, Yeah, well, you can do it on satellite, Richard, no problem. We'll, we can do that. And da 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 da. Christian, my son, came home and I said, I've got a Madonna interview. He said, Oh, where are you doing it? I said, well, I'm doing it here. You know, don't really have to go to New York. And he said, Why wouldn't you go to New York? I said, Well, it's a long way away to go tomorrow. He said, You're getting lazy, Dad. And I came into work and Sarah, my producer, said, It's a Madonna thing, but I think. I was trying to talk people into thinking that the satellite was a good idea. And she said, okay, so if you wouldn't go to New York for Madonna, who would you go for? I was like, okay, book me a freaking ticket. <gasps> oh, man, what a question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I had been the year before to do Bruce Springsteen, so, you know, it was, um, it was important to do it. Richard Wilkins is the entertainment editor for the Nine Network. He's the co-host of Weekend Today. He's a presenter at Smooth FM in Australia and probably a squillion other things. He's a very busy and successful man. If you want to hear a full conversation, I recommend it. He talks about the invention of MTV Unplugged, which is pretty fun. You can scroll all the way back to episode 84 uh, on this podcast feed. To double figures, yeah. 
Richard was in the earlier days of this show, which is great. We go back to 2013. There's heaps of episodes. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend. That is an enormous way that people find out about this show. And if you want to come and say, hey, come check us out at some of the live gigs we're doing. NTNN, NNN, uh, Real Stories, Fake News. It's uh, a live fake news show on stage. Tickets are in the show notes. Thanks heaps for listening. Thanks, Andy Marr, for being awesome on audio post-production for this episode. Bree Steele on writing and producing this show. Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of everything, and you for listening. Thanks for listening. I'll see you Friday. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.